Hey, welcome all to our Parshas Chukat uh, 5783. Before we get to our dedications, I want to welcome a Miami Chabura, who I think is participating today. And uh, I want to welcome everyone who's joining today. We did have a live class yesterday, but this is uh, take two. This is Parshas Chukas 5783, take two. It's always better the second time around. Our dedications are from Rifki Young Rice. Uh, thank you, Kodesh Baruch Hu, and Rafur Shleiman to Godel Yehuda Ben Reisel Amen, and from David, Debbie Davidson. Thank you, Hashem, for birth of twin grandchildren this week, a boy and a girl. Mazel tov to their parents, Yosef Chaim and Gabriela Nezmi. All right. This is really part two of what we uh, disc what we started talking about um, what we started talking about last week. All right. We started talking about Korach and we particularly emphasized how a person lose, uh, becomes disconnected from themselves and is not comfortable in the body or the role that they have been given to play. And we talked about the idea that when a person dis is disconnected from the community, they often disconnect to themselves. They have a sense of alienation. Something is that they're not at peace with themselves. And it goes both ways. A person can have a self um, a self-perception that is just refuses to conform to the divine eternal truths that the community is representing. And they just refuse to conform to it. We'll talk about this. Or, and therefore they have to leave the community or the community creates certain pressures, that's what we're going to focus on today, that almost drive a person out of the community because they feel so disconnected inside the community, and they have, they have to find a safe space somewhere else. So what we're going to talk about today is, is leadership. Now, when we talk about leadership, I'm not pointing the fingers at rabbis and, and all. I'm pointing the fingers We're all at, at me, at myself, at everybody. We're all leaders. We all contribute to what's going on. We all have a voice. We all have an opinion. Everybody can live by their, you know, can, can, can develop their understanding of what's the better way and live by their conscience and, and be different. So leaders or rabbis, okay, we're all in that together. We're talking about today leadership in our troubled times, all right? Healthy self-perception and community when the two are at odds with each other, when one person is either driven out of the community or drives themselves out of the community. Okay, so first of all, the leadership. We have, a, we have troubled times today. There are cultural messages seeping in. Many people are succumbing to them and people are disconnecting from eternal unchangeable, divine Torah truths that will have always outlasted everything and everybody that, that conflicted with them. And people are essentially disconnecting themselves from eternity and from connection to Torah. And, uh, and so what are we supposed to do about it? So let's make, let's, let's be very clear. A1. Okay. The priority in through all the times of Jewish history, starting by Korach, and we're going to get into Paraduma and what that symbolizes, uh, particularly with the approach of Rav Hirsch, who lived through the reform movement, the explosion of the reform movement, which did terrible damage to the Jewish community. So what are all people, leaders, anyone still attached to Torah supposed to do? First and foremost, they are meant to preserve 
and pass on the eternal pure truth of Torah of Yadis to the next generation, period. That's our job. And we have to figure out how to do it, okay? And there have always, unfortunately, been casualties along the way. But make no mistake about it, our primary responsibility is to figure out ways, which means to address the problems that have to be addressed and to be clear about our goals and to preserve Torah. Now, the agenda, how does one preserve Torah? So there's a number of things that have to come into consideration. Understand the complexity of the generation, particularly in every single generation, the balance between the individual and the community. What, how does an individual think about themselves in this generation? What is the community responsibility to hold on to Torah truths and Torah's constructs? And how does it work together? And what are the messages, okay? So we have to identify the current trends that are pulling individual people away from the Torah constructs. And we have to identify if maybe the community itself is contributing to that. We have to find ways to strengthen the weak who are falling away. And we have to protect our communities from agendas that are coming at us from the outside that aim to undermine the basis of Yadus. So there's a lot to do here. So let's start reviewing one aspect of it, which is the Korach aspect, then we're gonna shift focus. So community, Torah-based community, uh, creates constructs or preserves constructs that um, that is meant to to balance both the individual as a person with its own Elohim, with their own individuality, with their own kochos uh, and strengths, with their own desire to express themselves, with their own talents, and a person is meant to be able to live fully in that way. Uh, within the constructs of Torah truths. So there are boundaries and a person's Bechira is always, you know, where do I end and the Torah start? You know, because ultimately the Torah truths will preserve forever and I will end. <laughs> so I don't want to get carried away with myself. So, uh, and the community has to, but on the other hand, I don't want to be squelched. I don't want to be in nothing because there's no room for me in the community. So there is a very, very important uh, balance to strike between the non-negotiable eternal realities of Hashem's design and will, such as what's mentioned in Boratius, males and females, marriage, cont continuity, children, constructs like chesed, like emes, like shalom. These are basic Jewish constructs. They must be preserved. We must work with inside them, Torah truths, Halacha, we work with inside of them. And yet at the same time, there's an I. And the balance changes in every generation. How much I is being promoted versus how much Torah constructs are being promoted, okay? We are living in a generation where we see, I, I experience personally that shift. Our, our grandparents are all Holocaust survivors by and large, by and large. And they said, we must rebuild Jewish life. These are the constructs that everyone must fit into this Jewish life. And now we're living in a generation where everyone says, I want to express myself on my terms without any boundaries and nobody should get in my way and nobody should, should limit me. And so it's very, very, okay, it's very, I'm going to have to mute you because there's noise. 
there's very, very, there is a major conflict going on. Now what's happening, and this is where it gets really tricky and tough and a little bit ugly, where it's more than just that uh, I, you know, I, um, I can't, the, the cultural messages are making it hard for me to see myself in the eternal Torah constructs. It's more than that. It's worse than that. It's that I demand that you distort the Torah and its constructs so that I feel good about myself and I can claim that I'm not deviating from them and I'm not rebelling against them, okay? Or I'm not opposing them. That's where it gets tricky. So back in last week's Parsha, we're going to concentrate on one word. We're going to keep coming back to this word. It's called boker. Moshe says to Korach, v'yidabro Korach v'l lemor. Boker, in the morning, Hashem will confirm, okay, who is designated to sacrifice, to bring karbonos, and who he's chosen. So the Medrash Tanchuma says, why did Moshe say Boker? Because Moshe is saying to Korach, stop, stop, get a hold of yourself, get back to your senses. Just like Hashem made Boker and Lila, there is morning and there is night, okay? There is light and there is darkness, so Hashem did make Aaron a Kohen Gadol and not you, even though you're very great and you're a Levi and you carry the Aaron in the base of English, but you're not Aaron. Hashem has certain constructs that he, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into the design of the world. Stop. You can't fight them. It's not going to get anywhere. You cannot super, this is Hashem's design. You're just, you're just part of it. You cannot read, you cannot take control of it. Come to your senses. So um, so with the Korok we focused on, and we're not going to focus on it today, lack of acceptance of Boker, that there are truths and realities that are not negotiable, lack of acceptance of that because of various reasons causes a person to do exactly what Korok did, leave the community more than that, start create an agenda to destroy the validity of the Torah, to destroy the validity of Moshe and Aaron. Okay. Now, what do we do? Let's take the next step. What does one do uh, when confronted with a force like Korach, which means a force that says, I find it hard to live within the constructs that Hashem has predetermined for me, for the community, for life itself, okay? So let's get real. Let's get granular. granular. It is true that some people are definitely born with stronger tendencies. Let's say for, let's be honest, same-sex attraction. Doesn't mean that every single person today doing it is born with it, but there are some people born with it, okay? And it makes them much harder to work within the constructs. It's just harder to work within the normal constructs of marriage. So what does one do? And I want to tell you a story about from my, Schwab, my grandfather of Schwab, because again, Working within the constructs is a challenge, but that, and we're, and it's respected, very respected, but the constructs don't change just because some people given a particular Nisayon, that's hard for them. So somebody came to my grandfather and he told me this personally, and he said, Rabbi Schwab, I'm married. This is 50, 60 years ago. I have, I have two, I think three kids, but I want to tell you, I'm, I'm struggling so hard. I'm tormented. I am, I suffer from SSA, which will same-sex attraction. But I believe in God. I know the Torah is true, but I don't know what to do. So my grandfather said to him, number one, practical advice. 
He said, you must keep the laws of Nagia and Yichud with men. Second of all, he says, if you do not cave to the Isser, the absolute forbidden Isser of homosexuality, you are a tzaddik tamim going directly to Gan Eden on a madrega that very few people ever reach. But the constructs are the constructs. So the goal is for the community to respect the legitimate personal struggles that people have, but to uphold the purity of the Torah at the same time. No compromises on what the Torah actually says and what constitutes a Torah structure of life. They cannot, we cannot lie about it because as we said, we all come and we all go, but that Torah will never change. So what's the point of lying about it? We only destroy ourselves. Now, listen to this. This is incredibly, incredibly sensitive reading of words in the Torah in Gemara Sota 13b. If somebody is struggling like Korach and he says, I have huge uh, um, um, you know, a, a, a desires for greatness. I'm Korach was brilliant. Korach was talented. Korach was a leader. Korach was on a very high drag. He says, I am, I have so much more I could give. Why am I being limited that I can't be our own? It, why, why is this just? Okay. Is there, this is a fair, this is a fair sense of, 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 of distress. This is, this is legitimate. Like, for example, women who just can't perform in front of men. It's a legitimate, they sing, they dance, they're amazing. No, but you're not supposed to perform in front of men. So it's legitimate. There's a real sense of, of like, of pain. Now, what happens? Listen to this, how sensitive the Torah is to this pain. So Moshe said to Korach, Rav Lecha, okay? It's enough, Ben, ben, ben Levi, you're a Levi. You carry the Aron. You have so much more responsibility and, and, and stature and than, than everybody else in the nation. It's enough. Stay in your lane, as they say today. Guess what happened when Moshe wanted to go and tear it to Shul? And he said, Hashem, I led them 40 years. Do you know how the amount of effort and sacrifice Moshe put in for 40 years is, there's no way to even describe it. And then Hashem said, you can't go and tear to Shul. And then Moshe Davin, you know what Hashem said to him? Rav Lacha. It's enough, Moshe. You had all the other stuff. And the Gemara says it was a rebuke. It was a rebuke. Because it's too, don't be so insensitive when a person truly feels that they are larger than the roles they're allowed to play. Okay? Because this is a normal human dilemma. We have, we are Tzal Kim. We have enormous capacity and there is no question that a torah society has certain constructs and that's that and they're they're divine and so they're right and so they're good and so they're perfect and our job is to work within them that's what we need to do so now let's talk about and let's get granular what are some of the causes that leads a person to disconnect from the community but I'm talking about community causes, things we do to ourselves that cause a person to feel, I can't live in these limitations. I can't live in this construct. What are some of the real things? First of all, and this is our own self-reflection. The community, each community through the ages has emphasized different things. 
When a community emphasizes or their particular version of a non-negotiable divine reality, and that demands too much from the individual, and one can feel inadequate in their ability to live up to all the community messages of this is the way that Jewish communities are and what God wants and the structure you have to fit in. Let me give you an example. I once was dating, uh, I, I was dating a guy, or I think I was on the phone with him. I guess I dated him. Back in the day when you actually talked to someone before you went out with them. Anyway, and he said something to me where he said, well, I'm not a Ben Torah. Now, I was from a Yekish background, and by us, a Ben Torah is someone who conducted their life in sync with Torah. It didn't mean someone who spent their life in yeshiva. So because by the Yekis, if you weren't successful in learning and like a real masmetamachachon, like real talent by 2020, you went out to you went out to work. So he said, I'm not a Ben Torah. I said, what? Well, what does that mean? He goes, well, I left yeshiva. So the fact that somebody, because they can't achieve the stature of the Talmud Chacham, the Masmid, the best guy, they then feel like there's no place for me in the yeshiva system. I'm therefore, I'm leaving. Therefore, I'm not a mentor. I mean, therefore, I don't feel good about myself. Therefore, what's the difference? I might as well just do whatever I want, right? That, the, you know, so that's just an example. I don't want to condemn Chas Khalil. I'm not condemning yeshivas. I'm giving an example of real, as we all know, people who really suffer from their own sense of inadequacy because they cannot, they can't learn, they have learning issues or all sorts of other stuff, all sorts of other stuff. They're just very, they have two right hands. They want to be practical and active. You know, they've got ADD and they're super Italian. They just can't sit there all day and learn and remember all the Gemaras and be a Masmid. It just doesn't work for them. And yet they, these people, as we know, can sometimes, depending on different factors, be made to feel like I can't work in this system. The system doesn't address me and I'm out of this system. And along with it, they could also feel very bad about themselves and all sorts of other stuff. There's another reality, okay? Community does not take personal experiences into account enough. They turn a blind eye to the maltreatment of people for the sake of community in integrity. They do not pursue justice because lush and hara or collateral people, we know this issue today, let's be honest, sexual abuse that everyone just shuts it down because, you know, it's collateral damage, the whole family, blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody, you know, we can't talk about it. It's not addressed. It's considered, right? Let's say, you know, it's obviously, of course, Baruch Hashem, we have so much in our community that is rectifying these problems. So, 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 so much. But these are types of things that can draw a person away. What about dishonesty? People are ganovim. They steal and they steal other people's money and they lose other people's money. And and uh, and the community doesn't condemn it hard enough. And people are victims to this. And then they, people still get to get honor. And you know, even after they've done that. And then a person says, "You don't care about me. You don't care about how I was, how I suffered because other people did stuff." And there's no one I can talk to. There's no one coming to my defense. So when that happens and nobody's really taking my case and everybody's just like brushing it under the rug. So when those type of things happen in a community and they don't get addressed, people say there's no place for me in this community, in these constructs. And they look for something else. Here's another thing. Let's be real. Community promote cultural trends, bad cultural trends, which divide people into haves and have-nots, rich and poor, okay, uh, beautiful and not beautiful. Let's talk about this and make people feel unable to compete in the community and the way the thing runs, and they feel less than everyone else. Now, I want to say something really painful. 
that puts together this idea and what's going on today with the gender identity. And different communities handle this differently, okay? So in a community where, let's say there is co-ed schools, okay? Or the same thing in a community where shidduchim, people are prized for their beauty primarily. Okay, this is a normal human thing, right? People, beauty is beauty, money, whatever, okay. So what happens? So let's say you have a girl and I've seen this happen in my own life. I've seen, I watched this train wreck. You have a girl, she's born into one of these more, these communities and uh, where the emphasis is on more than marriage and more than midos, it's on it's on uh, beauty and having and being, being st having status and all that stuff, okay? So as a girl from a broken home, she was she was just not good looking at all, very bad looking, unfortunately. She had really bad skin. She was overweight. And she was in a system where she was competing for male attention as a co-ed school. And she didn't get any male attention. And just take the same scenario and talk about shidduch. There are girls who don't get a shidduch for years. The family's not amazing. They're not rich. They're not fabulous. They're not classy. The girl might be overweight or not, not that pretty or who knows what. There are girls who literally don't get shidduch for years. So what happens? What's a person supposed to do? So in a society that allows for these alternative options, I saw this happen. The girl says, you know what? I mean, she, I, she didn't say it to me, but this went on in her head. Instead of me thinking about myself as the reject, who nobody wants to, no male gives me attention. I can't, nobody looks at me. Even my classmates don't really include me as much. Like I'm like the, right? I'm going to re-identify myself. I don't want male attention. I'm not, that's, I'm, that's not who I am. Maybe I consider myself a guy anyway, or maybe I consider myself some, some other type of thing, some other type of combination of identities. I don't know, but I don't see myself as a girl looking for male attention. So she changed her name to a guy's name. She started wearing guy clothes. Now, well, now let's, let's, let's just compare and contrast. And I'm not, no one's perfect. No one's perfect, but I can tell you because I am part of that community and I have friends in the community, in the Hasidish community. Okay, where they get their kids married off at 17, 18 years old. Okay. And if they're overweight, if they're not so great looking, if they're not so, if their skin's not so good, it really doesn't matter that much. They take the 18 year old guys and the 18 year old girls and they make sure that they get married. And listen, I'm not saying it's perfect. And it's, I, but, 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 but a girl in that community doesn't have to live in panic if she's not perfect. Okay. That she'll never get a shidduch. Because that's not how it works there. there. The priority is get married, be part of the community, have kids. And there's a lot more to talk about like this, but different communities handle this differently and have different, different, and therefore their, 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 their situation of what they're dealing with is different. Okay. And the problems, they don't have the same problems. So sometimes a community has to recognize what we are allowing to happen because it's causing people to grab on to new options of how they can help themselves, how they can extricate themselves from these problems. And one of the ways people extricate is they re-identify in this case, or they leave the community, or they, or, or they, um, they, uh, they view the community as, 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 as uh, hypocritical, or they think about themselves as not worthy, and therefore they give themselves a license to do whatever they want. Let's talk about trauma. These types of trauma is a big word today. I'm just using it because it's a word everyone's familiar with. 
feelings of frustration, anger, animosity, disconnection from the community, and often from one own self. At best, they will search for, hopefully find a different community with better values. I have a friend telling you all this honest stuff. She was unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately sexually abused in her community, which was of course, I shouldn't say of course, but it doesn't, it's not exclusive, but it happened to be a certain very rigid religious community in Israel. And she, of course, Baruch Hashem, she went to rehab and she's doing fabulous, but she found, shout out for a wonderful community in North Boca that is totally true and yet more inclusive and understanding. And she is doing beautifully and not only doing beautifully, she herself has opened her home there to many, many women and men from religious communities who have left the community and she's created in her own little beautiful sub community for them. They have Shabbos and they have each other and they have, so they support each other. So people look for a new community at best, worse than that, a negative, horrible, this terrible, tragic result. The person is in pain. They do not have a good self image. They do not have a good self perception. So they grasp at various self-destructive coping, soothing mechanisms, whether it be drugs or alcohol or self-harm or who knows what. They break away from their families that of community and they are, and they're lost. They feel very lost and they just feel they have no place to be. And the worst of it all, we're going to call the Erevrav. And that is when they develop an ideology, an agenda to fight to destroy, to undermine the foundations of Torah because of their own pain, so to speak. And we'll talk about what that looks like and what the result of that looks like. Okay, so far so good. Are you with me? What's the error of What's the worst case scenario? All right. So let's first, uh, it's called the error of This is a very big idea in Kabbalah. The idea of the error of is much more, it's much bigger than just the people that Moshe took out of Mitzrayim, the Mekubalim, the Arizal, and the Vilna Gon talk about it in relationship to going back to the Itadas, but the Mabel, the Migdal Bavel community, Sodom, Amalek, and ultimately the end in Mashiach, there'll be this Erev Rav influence. So let's try to understand what Erev Rav means. Erev, 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 the first time the word Erev appears in the Torah, Vahi Erev, Vahi Boker, okay? Erev means that there was, Erev is a time, as you know, that it's mixed. It's a mix. Me'urav. Everything's mixed up. Light and dark are mixed up. In fact, when it says, Hashem said he are, and then Hashem divided between the or and the Choshech, look in the notes on the top of page four, Rashi brings it down, that or v'choshech mishtamshim be'er buvia, Light and dark were like intermixed and Hashem divided them. The concept of Erev is intermixing, intermixing. There's good and bad all mixed up, light and darkness all mixed up. So we're getting to something very nuanced and very subtle. What does it look like when, well, I shouldn't say it's subtle, but it's 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 complex. It's it's light and darkness. It's Aaron Choshek all together. So we, this is called Erev. This is the essence of Erev Rav. Everything is mixed up. Now we're going to use Esav and Amalek uh, to help us understand it. And then we're going, because Esav and Amalek are associated with Erev Rav, and then we're going to go into the various Erev Rav societies that the Mekobalim talk about. Okay. So we know in order to understand Esav, we have to just understand um, the two concepts called Chesed and Gevura. You know that, of course, we've done this many times. Chesed is represented by Brahm. It's the mother containing the baby. It's this all-inclusive 
containment of other people. They're part of me. They, their needs are my needs. They're heard, they're seen. I identify with them. I give them everything I have. I overflow. They live in my overflow. They are totally lovingly included in my life. I make space for them in my life. They are safe. They belong. This is always chesed. This always has to come first. This is our relationship with Hashem. We are part and parcel of Hashem's own self-expression, living in the overflow of the everything Hashem is. At the same time, in order for people to experience themselves as Selma Lukim, like God is a creator, I'm a creator. I can express myself freely like God. There needs to be a sense of self. I, we have to be able to say I, I. Now, if that, that is the concept of Gevura boundaries, the ultimate Gevura or Mechitza that is referred to in Devarim, that will eventually be healed is the machitza that like, for example, the baby between the mother, the uterine wall, or our inability through our five senses to see what we are part of, to see that we're part of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So we get the chance to say, I, this is my world. I have five senses. I evaluate it. I feel like I'm a self. I feel like I have autonomy. I have Bechira. I can choose who I want to be. And therein, by virtue of the boundary, the gavura or self-restraint of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, a person gets a sense of I. Now we get to Esav. Yitzchak, of course, represented the boundary. Esav represents the total distortion of the purpose of the boundary. Okay? Esav wreaks havoc with the concept of the boundary. Esav doesn't see in it any benefit to himself. When I say Esav, I don't mean the person Esav. The ideology that looks at the entire arrangement and, and they don't focus on the chesed part. Okay, they don't focus on the inclusivity part. They don't focus on the part that they get to channel God. They only focus on the boundary and they feel very much isolated on the other side of the boundary. We, call, we learned about this called the sitra achra, the other side. I'm on the other side. And they theoretically know that they're part of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. But here's where Esav comes in. He says like this, I don't mean Esav, I mean all people with this ideology, but it is definitely played out and the Torah gives Esav words that he says that describe this concept, okay? So the ideology goes like this. Of course there's a God. Regarding Esav, we learn also regarding Nimrod, also regarding Sodom. Makiris Boro, they totally recognize their creator and intentionally decided to rebel. Why? Where is it coming from? So the ideology goes like this. And it usually comes from, in our day, in our day, it comes from pain. Esav invented it. He, he, he created this ideology as a thing in and of itself. But it is a go-to ideology when anybody goes through any of the distress and pain that we already talked about. So this is how it goes. God, you, it's your world. Of course, you're the creator. Of course, you designed everything. I just woke up one day and, hey, surprise, I'm in God's world. I didn't design myself, okay? You put me here. I did not ask to be here. I didn't get an opinion. It's like, there's not, you just put me in your world. I did not choose any of the variables that constitute my situation in life. I didn't pick my parents. I didn't pick my body. I didn't pick my skin. I didn't pick my weight. I didn't pick my metabolism. I didn't pick my, the way my mind works. I didn't pick my abilities or my disabilities. I didn't pick my siblings. I didn't pick the generation. I didn't pick the, the, the community. I picked nothing. I'm literally a victim. 
I, I, this is the perception of non-freedom, okay? Now, on top of that, Hashem, you say, this is how we have to do things. Here are my rules. Here are my rules. And guess what? There's reward and punishment. You gave me rules that I that are so overwhelming, first of all, that I don't think I can live up to them. And let's be honest, if I obey you, you don't change. You don't get stronger or we. My behavior doesn't matter. Your plan is going to unfold. You are God. We say every day in Adon Olam, um, um, we say uh, before the world is created, Adon Olam Asher Malach, but Terem Kol before the world was anything was created, and after it's all done, you're going to be the Melech. You don't, my, look at Haman. His maneuverings didn't affect anything. You just did whatever you wanted with Haman's maneuverings. So my obedience or disobedience is a, is a what is it? It's, it's, it's not even meaningful. It doesn't even change anything for you. You are going to run this world according to your plan. Even Mordechai said it to Esther when he was fighting Haman, which is the ace of ideology. Esther, we don't need you. Hashem is going to save the Jews anyway. It doesn't even matter. But the only thing is, do you want to be the one through whom Hashem saves the plan? Like, it's a real concept. So, and my sins don't matter. They don't make you weaker, God. So then why do I get punished? Like, I'm out of the game. You know how they say in Shark Tank? And for these reasons, I'm out. Okay? So when a person's out, all right, because of these ideas, the ideology the, or the, the sort of philosophy they adopt is called nihilism. Nihilism is the belief that life is ultimately meaningless. There's no point. Nothing we does has any matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing has value. It doesn't even matter. And when this nihilism comes within the context of knowing about God, it's really a strong argument, but it comes from blindness to the chesed and total focus on the gavura. And with this ideology, there's an underlying purpose for making this argument. And that's where we get to Korach again. The underlying purpose is because I really want to do what I want. Because I really don't want to bother myself to figure out why this whole arrangement that you made a Kodesh Baruch Hu is actually beautiful, pleasant, joyful, meaningful, and not only that, we're going to see when Erevav, this whole con, this whole ideology turns into a malek, says not only that, I hate the people that find meaning and purpose and joy in your arrangement. I hate the people that talk about chesed. That's going to be Sodom. I hate the people that think that this whole thing is fulfilling and purposeful and they stay on course and they try to their best to do the right thing and they suppress themselves. They say, I end here and Hashem's Ratzon starts there. I hate those people. They are getting in my way. Those are the Hitlers of the world. Those are the Amaleks of the world. So the agenda comes out in a few forms. Mabel is one form, the Mekobalim say. Mabel says, we just want to do what we want. We want hedonism. We want pleasure. We want to just, and that really is the Mabel. We want to take whatever we could take. And we uh, we want to take whatever we can take without worrying about, we don't want to have to play by any rules. You know, whatever, survival of mode, if it works, do it. That's it. If you can get away with it, do it. Keep yourself happy, hedonistically, eat, drink, and be merry, and move on. And live your life till you're dead. And that is ends in the marble, which is a flood, which washes away everything. We're not going to go into that in depth. Then you say, the Mikobalim say, it's Migdal Bavel. Migdal Bavel says, in this life, of meaninglessness, 
okay, where there is a God, but we don't even matter. We So we are little helpless pawns, vulnerable creatures in God's big world. Let's band together and give ourselves a sense of security by being together. Let's all in, be inclusive. Let's all pull together. Let's all take care of each other. And in this world where nothing matters, okay, we are searching for some sort of sense of self, identity, shame. let's find identity for ourselves, let's invent it, and in that search for identity, we'll each find our own identity, and we'll all together as a community support each other and keep each other safe in our identities, because there is no greater identity other than what we make up for ourselves. That is today, by the way, this community of people that have various identities, they bind, bond together, they support each other. I just saw sometime in the best case scenario, I just saw a clip someone sent me about America, um, Britain's Got Talent with, they got the golden buzzer. It was a group of people, men, you know, all sorts of people. And the message was a dance and a song. And the message was inclusive of everybody in their identity. So it starts with the Down syndrome girl, beautiful inclusivity. Everybody's respected, lovely. Then it was the guy who was a guy, but he loved to dance. And he was alienated for that and ostracized for that. And like, he's included, fine. He's allowed to dance. There are certainly great guy dancers. Then there was the girl who was overweight and, you know, she didn't want to feel like an outsider because her body didn't match. Excellent. Lovely. Then came the person pushing gender boundaries. Right. And that was like some weird, I don't know what to call it. And that was inclusive. And then came, of course, the two women who loved each other and that one. So there's this mushmash, this mix of arvachoshech of people wanting to support each other and the concept of inclusivity, which is a chesed concept, but in the pursuit of invented identities or because other identities, um, you know, because we can fit into the constructs that A, God designed, which is male, female, et cetera. And also that community invented constructs, perfection, beauty, skinny, etc. And, and we can't find our identity in there. So it's a mix, okay, of a lot of, of truth and, and, and our own self-generated problems. And it's a big mix, okay? Sodom. Sodom is very different than Migdal Bavil. Sodom says we hate the vulnerability. We're not going to provide a safe space and a cushion for all the vulnerable people trying to find a place for themselves. Okay, when they don't have any sort of connection to the identity that Hashem has sort of provided for them and the role Hashem wants them to play. We have no, we hate, Sodom hates vulnerability. Do not support or encourage anybody who is vulnerable. If you can't make it in this world, it's your problem. Okay, no chesed. This is a world, a doggy dog, nothing has meaning. Therefore, it's about you making it on your own and don't come to me for help, okay? And then, of course, we said, Amalek, we hate anyone who finds meaning and purpose and joy in this world, who helps each other, who wants everybody to, to who supports each other, who sees uh, life as, as being part of something beautiful that's much greater, who wants to, who wants to, rein themselves in for the sake of channeling something greater, who willingly puts limitations on themselves. We hate that. A person who, who willingly says, I will put my, all the enormous cojos that I technically have, I'm going to rein them in 
and only use them to promote and to be part of and to channel God. We hate that. Okay. Let's digress for a minute. Not digress. Let's let's understand that Moshe Rabbeinu definitely dealt with the issue of nihilism, of what happens when people, as we said, we said before the Ravlach Ravlach, but what happens with people that really question if their life has value because they're in a situation they really didn't ask for. They could be doing so much, 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 much better things if they didn't have to deal with these, these, these troublesome, horrible, painful conditions that Hashem put upon them that they didn't choose. Okay. They could be so much more and, uh, and they therefore, and God has caused them to be limited and they could, and they're very, and they, and they're feeling very bad about the whole situation. And they're having a very hard time coming to terms with the fact that, you know, you have to work within God's constructs. So this is Eov. Eov was written by Moshe Rabbeinu. We have a lot of material that addresses these fundamental questions. Make no mistake about it. Eov was a tzaddik. He didn't deserve the situation he found himself in, period. That is in the beginning of the Sefer. It's God's world. He was a mammon in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. He was He was thriving. He was doing so much with his kochos. He was inspiring everybody. He was like the national inspirational leader. And yet, a Kaddish Baruch Hu then stopped him in his tracks, threw upon him all sorts of problems and suffering, suffering and, and that disability that he didn't ask for. And, he's, and it made no sense. And, um, and, uh, and he didn't ask for it and he didn't get an explanation why. And so he was asking a lot of the same questions we just asked. I didn't choose this. Why do, why you just threw this upon me? What difference does it make? So now Moshe Rabbeinu, okay. Writing say for you, this is so crucial. Listen to this. My grandfather told me this and it's in Bab Schwab on Eov. He articulates. He breaks down. He he really identifies all of the arguments that will come from a person in EO situation. Okay, and there's a lot of EOs out there. Did not ask for the terrible troubles that they are in, either children that are neglected or abused or all sorts of things. Okay, there's a lot of EOs out there. Now, emotion right say for EOV. It's a mitzvah derisa to learn say for EOV. It's a part of Tanakh. Let me tell you all the things. Eo says, he says, he's nihilistic. I hate my life. I want to die. It would have been better if I wasn't born. Life has no meaning. The, the tzaddik and the Russia all go in the same grave and nobody cares. The rich and the poor, they all go down together. The people that were exploited, everyone, and the victims, all day, they all die together. Sometimes the, explo the exploiters and the perpetrators die beautiful deaths and have big, beautiful sir, tombs. Who cares? Nobody cares. There's no Hashgacha Pratis. There's no Olam Haba. There's no Scharva Ona. She said every blasphemy a suffering person could say. And you know what the Gemara says multiple times? Ein Adam Nitpas Beshas Tsaro. A person is not held accountable for what they say when they are in such a state of distress. And you have 38 chapters of Moshe putting in Eov's mouth, because Eov is, a, according to most, a muscle for a lot of people how it feels to be in this predicament. 
and the friends are coming up with answers that are not our answers. And in the end, Hashem shows Eov the big picture, the behind the scenes of the whole world. And Eov says, okay, I see that there's this, it's way too complex for me to understand, but I see that everything fits in to the, in the right place. Everything has its place. It's like enormous puzzle. I see all the pieces fitting in together. And this piece also, my suffering also fits in. Now, he says, it was worth going through my suffering to understand this. Now, guess what? Guess what? This is not just, Eov is not a person or a muscle for a person. You know what else he is? He's, he is a muscle for every person. But you know what else he is? Look at these numbers. Eov, what do these numbers ring a bell? He was 70 before the year of his suffering. And he lived 210 years after the year of his suffering. Hello, what numbers are we talking about? 70 and 210? 70 is how many Jews came down to Mitzrayim were poor, pure and innocent. 210 is the years they, they spent in slavery. Moshe's writing Savior Eov. He's discussing why people have to go into situations that they didn't deserve, that it wasn't because of their fault, because God has a plan and that plan is acting, going through people. He's discussing why it's like this. And in the end, the message is that Eov says it was worth it. Okay, when Amisho come out of Mitzrayim and they have the Gilo Shechina, the Kriyas Yamsev and the Matan Torah, they say, it was worth it. In other words, then Amalek comes. We hate the people that find meaning and purpose and joy and growth in situations that are difficult, unfair, and that they didn't ask for. That is what Amalek hates the most. Okay, now we have to get to Paraduma. I know, this is a bit of a longer class, all right? Paraduma, this is from Rav Hirsch. We're gonna approach Paraduma with this perspective. What happens when this ideology permeates our community and lots of people because of cultural messages that tell them that divine constructs are just too rigid and they should just abandon them or even worse, uh, try to try to cause this, you know, could really harm them. Don't work in divine constructs. Don't find the peace and the joy. Don't sub, don't limit yourself. Just promote these arguments. Not my problem. I didn't ask to be here. I don't want to work with your rules. I'm out of the game. The the society that says that's a good argument. Go for it and do whatever you want. What do we do when these ideas permeate society and people absolutely? refuse or they go on the agenda to assault the fundamental Jewish strength, which is to, 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 to accept to some level and change what we can and work within Hashem's truths and what, and, and see the good and see how we can grow and Find a better, you know, if, it, if you know, find the Torah community that allows for that. What about what happens when, like we said, this ideology is directly against that? Okay. So Rav Hirsch were, lived in the time of the reform movement, a little tiny bit of history, including my own family history. And the reform were trying to distort the Torah. And they said, it's too rigid and it doesn't let us succeed and it holds us back from being you know from going to from being part of the world 
and 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 we, we you know we could be scientists and 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 and, and mathematicians and doctors and but it's all these Torah laws like kosher that's holding us back and separating us from the community, et cetera. So not only did Rav Hirsch write endless amounts and teach and put forth an alternative where you can be part of the world, that's not the problem, while you're kosher, while you keep Shabbos, you can do both. It's called Torah im derecherts. You don't have to reject everything so that you can eat treif. It's You could be a doctor and a lawyer, but you, but you this is a rejection of anything that gets in the way of my desire to do what I want. So Rav Hirsch put forth a an ideology. Now, the entire Beis Yaakov movement by Sarah Schneerer, fueled by Rav Hirsch. She taught Rav Hirsch. That was her material. That's why there's from women today and there's a Beis Yaakov, and that's why there's yeshivas. Because if there weren't Beis Yaakovs, there'd be no yeshivas because the guys would have no one to marry. It's Rav Hirsch's ideology that literally saved so much of European Jewry, Jewry also the Hasidish ideology also did very much. Hasidim also very strong. That survived. But Rav Hirsch's ideology. Now, what did Rav Hirsch do when he saw that the reform movement was becoming dominant? Now, in the way it worked in Europe was the community was a self-contained unit and the government paid the rabbi and the government and the and the and, and it was a political part of German society, the Jewish community. Now, when the Jewish community was a self-contained unit. It took care of education, the chinuch system, the schools. It took care of the mikvahs. It took care of the shul. It took care of the kashras. It took care of the cemetery. So eventually in Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany, where my grandparents come from, where Hirsch was, um, the reform movement started taking control of the community. So the reforms policy started changing the way Torah was, was, was you know, the way Jewish communities were living. So Rav Hirsch came up with this approach called Austritz, he made an Auschwitz mind, meaning we secede from the community. We cannot work with them on anything, period. We will not even work with them on non-religious matters because anything they touch will be corrupted because their agenda is to destroy the basis of Torah. So we are seceding from the community. We will have our own community, Auschwitz mind, our own shuls, our own base kvaras, our own mikvahs, our own kashras, everything. Now, the, oh, the big problem here, was that you're taking people that lived in the same community for hundreds of years. There was one basic forest where they had a family plot with all their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and now reform is running the show. And Hirsch says, or Shamsham Hirsch says, we are making our own community and our own cemetery because they're going to change the way Kavura is done. They're going to change the way Taras are done. People didn't want to be buried away from their family. If you go to Frankfurt and go to Hirsch's cemetery, there's a, you'll see the main cemetery, there's a wall, and then there's Rav Hirsch's cemetery, and right behind Rav Hirsch is my great-grandfather, Rav Moshe Schwab, and his wife. They were the, among the first families that seceded with Rav Hirsch, okay? Now, I told the story. I'm going to repeat it again because we're going to get into the concept of Paraduma. It's a very delicate story. Do not misrepresent and misquote it. My great-grandfather, not Rav Moshe, but Yehuda, his son, Yehuda Schwab, my grandfather, Shimon Schwab's father, was dealing with the hemorrhage of, of Jewish families towards reform. And he understood that reform is, as we know, they're not even Jewish anymore. They're not even Jewish anymore, most of the reform people, patriarchal descent and everything. And uh, he knew that it would not just do so much damage, it would pull hundreds, thousands of people away from Torah. Torah is eternal. Torah will survive. People will come and go. And all these people that will be pulled away will be lost. 
They will give up their eternity. They will give up their attachment to Amishol, which will survive. They will be lost. And the fight was fierce, like it is today, in a different way. So my grandfather always told the story that it was a Pesach Seder. My his, he remembers being a child at his own father of Yehuda Leib Schwab's Pesach Seder. And Leib means Yehuda Leib was a lion. And uh, Yehuda Leib, my great-grandfather, would take hold of his kittel. And when they got to the part that was the four sons, Chacham, Russia, Tom, which we're going to learn about today, which doesn't mean foolish at all, and she and he would hold on to his kids and he said, if any of my children is a Russia, if any of my children change the Torah, meaning reform, if they change any mitzvah, I want you to know that I'm on the side of Torah and eternity, and I'm not on the side of my children. You are not my child. You cannot expect me to in any way include, to continue to, to support you. You will go your own way and I will not follow you because I'm on the side of the Torah and eternity. We all come and go, but the Torah is going to be forever. And I want to tell you, his five children, three world famous Torah leaders, Rav Moshe in Gateshead was the Mashkiach with Rav Dessler, my grandfather, Shimon Schwab, and his brother, uh, Rav Morat Cheshwab, one of the Lamnav of Tzadikim, and two other brothers, Izzy and Herman, Tzadikim, but not world-famous leaders. Baruch Hashem, Chazdei Hashem, their children, their grandchildren. I can't really speak for the fourth and fifth generation, but because I don't know every single person in the family anymore, but Torah true people, nobody became reform. Not one person slipped to reform. And Chazdei Hashem, everybody escaped the Holocaust. Now, um, now this was this message is something we heard today. No less, there is a response, a requirement to understand where we part ways with ideology that wants to undermine, destroy, and distort the Torah. So we're making a huge distinction between a person who's struggling. That is not a. That's fine. People struggle. We just went through all the sensitivities to struggle. Eov, Rav Lacha, Moshe got chastised. Don't say it's enough. Be sensitive to people's struggles. Be sensitive to Eo's struggle. Moshe wrote a whole safer about it. People, like we said, the Gemara says, you're not even held accountable for the outbursts when you're in distress. People struggle. As long as a person says, I there's this is the Torah, the Torah is true. I have my personal struggle. Maybe I'm not living up to all of its ideals. Maybe I'm even violating stuff. That, as long as it's been Adam Lamakum, that's between me and Hashem, and that's fine. And these people are supported. They are, we embrace them, we educate them, we are there for them. It's beautiful. They are not trying to destroy Torah. They know where they end and the Torah starts. But the next level, which we're dealing with today, where there's a demand that Torah be distorted to accommodate the sensibilities of people who don't fit into the constructs, that's crossing the line. A tremendous Rahmanas for those people. But whatever's driving them to force their parents or the rabbis or the leaders to distort Torah and say that something is acceptable in Torah, such as a chuppah for two men, which is not acceptable, no way, no how, never, and publicly distort the Torah, that's much more than just having your own struggles and doing your own thing privately. That, that's when a person has to be told, like friends, like Elihu told Eo, stop, stop. 
Don't cross that line. And if you do, don't expect me to come with you across that line. I will love you. I'll take care of you. I will respect you in your struggle, but do not ask me to publicly distort the Torah and say the Torah believes in things that it doesn't believe in. Okay. And that's where we get to the para aduma. All right. This is Rav Hirsch. Look, the para aduma is a very interesting creature. It's called para aduma tamima. All right. We're going to go a little longer today. What do those two words remind you about? Edom, that's Esav. Tamim, that's Yaakov. We're talking about why did Esav get it wrong and Yaakov get it right? We're going to get there. Why did Yaakov stay Tom? Why did he also, he's also had the same questions like Esav. They're legitimate questions, right? But why did, how did Yaakov get it right? So first of all, you have a, a, a para aduma tamima. You have this creature, this para, that is both, a, it's it's Erev Rav, so to speak. It's a mushmash. It represents an ideology that is all confused and dangerous. Now, the paraduma comes, let's make it clear, with the, what we do with the paraduma, it's meant to purify people from the ideology that is that it represents, okay? Through what you do with the paraduma shows how we deal with an ideology that is so dangerous and how do we going through that procedure can purify people, okay? So Rav Hirsch says, what is a paraduma? We're talking about it, it is the, the para is the cow, which is the, represents redness, tamim, it is completely whole, it has no mum, look on page five, and it never had a yoke. Rav Hirsch explains it is the unbridled physical material self that wants to do whatever it wants, that it has no blemish, it is completely whole, nothing taints it, nothing stops it, nothing gets in its way, nothing holds it back, nothing limits it, never has it been constrained to any sort of all or yoke or limitation or construct that it must work within. It is the demand for total unbridled self, you know, uh, self-indulgence with, with absolute refusal to have any constructs upon it. That's the paraduma. It's red. It's the red of blood light of the, it is, it is whole, nothing has in any way uh, limited it. It has nothing has tainted it, it has blemished it and it has never borne a yoke. What do you do with this attitude? I refuse to conform to anything. So you, the entire community has to take it out, right? Dabra el the whole community, they gotta take it to the Kohen. The entire community is responsible for taking this problem, this ideology and its effects to the Kohen, to a leader who's going to stand up for the alternative and try to heal the people from this. So you give it to the Kohen. And you know what he does? Listen to this. The Kohen takes this out of the camp. This is not like a regular chatas. A person sins because they're overwhelmed, because they have temptations, because society's messages are confusing them. They sin. You know what they do? They go in the base of Megdash and they bring a chatas in the base of Megdash, in the confines of the, of, 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 of the camp. Not this. This is an ideology that says I have a right to break down all, all constructs 
and I have a right to do whatever I want in that process. And, um, and so you take it out of the camp and you say, this has no place in our camp. It has to be isolated outside. There is no room for this. We cannot cater to it. We can accommodate it. And you know what the coin does? Shechs it. He shechs it. Yeah, he shechs it. That means he slaughters it. It has no future. There is no accommodation, period. The unbridled demand that we get to do the things we want with no consideration for the constructs of Torah, uh, that gets slaughtered. You cannot make peace with it. Now what happens? But the blood, the blood goes back. The blood is directed back towards the Beis Migdash. The Kohen takes the blood in his own hands with his fingers. This is the pure, this remains the pure, the person. Their, 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 their connection to HaKadosh Baruch their neshama, right? The essence of the person, their basic core life force. The Kohen takes it and he sprinkles it towards Ohel Moe, go back to the tent. Go back to the framework. Seven times. Seven represents the full composite of all that which exists in the material world and all of its pressures. Go back in. He takes the blood and tries to say, now that we destroyed the ideology and we show no, we give it no space, no voice, but you go back, fit yourself back into the construct somehow, some way. And that means you could be weak. You could be not living up to Torah values, but just, just work within the construct. Say, I know I'm not, but I know the Torah is true. Go back to the framework and then Hashem will deal with you. It's not our business, okay? You and Hashem, Hashem understands you. Hashem knows everything, okay? Um, now, what happens though, but what do you do with the, not the blood? Then the para is burned. It's skin, it's flesh, the rest of the blood, it's waste. Everything is burned. There is, it's ashes, zero. There's nothing left. Interestingly enough, later in the Parsha, the Torah takes the word afer. When you take, when you make, I'm sorry, let me go back. When you make this ashes, you make, you mix it with mayim chayim, with living waters, and that's used to sprinkle on people to be metahir them, to, to purify them. Meaning, if you understand this lesson, we can purify you with this lesson. This lesson should purify you. We're making it very clear. Don't lose yourself. Go, you know, you can you can be sinful. You could violate things, but don't have an agenda. Just say, this is my struggle. It's okay. Okay, there's something called, there's a mizbeach for a carbon chathas, for the exact, because there's chuba. Don't worry about it. But later in the parsha, when the water is mixed and people come to be purified from this ideology or from what we call Tumas Mace, the, the Tumma of death, which is really the Tumma of we're all going to die, who cares? What does my life have any meaning anyway? Okay. So then you sprinkle them with this water. And then the Torah, as you see in the end of the notes, refers to the ashes, as Ramesha points out, the afer with an olive as afar with an ayin. Now it's dirt. Dirt and water, they produce growth. Ashes and water produce nothing. But dirt and water produce growth. You can grow again, okay? You can grow again. Now, I just want to, we have to do one more thing. I know it's a long class, okay? The, after the paraduma, all right? Then we go to a little bit later in the parsha, Pasuk 14, 
Zosatora, same idea, Tumas Mace. Zosatoras Adam. This is the Torah of a person, Kiyamus Ba'ohel, a person who dies in the tent. The halacha simple shot. If a person dies in a tent, everything in the tent is tummy, except a container that's totally sealed, that not that may not get tummy. Of course, the deeper meaning is when a person dies. When a person succumbs to this tumma that we're all going to die, nihilism, who cares? We didn't ask to be here anyway, so let's do whatever we want. Okay, that's really the tumma of death. Um, that it contaminates everyone. But the, what is, why, the, the very specification, zos hatora adam kiyamus ba'ohel. If a person dies in a tent, I mean, first of all, most people die indoors. What's the deeper meaning of ba'ohel? So in Devarim Perak 5, Sukkim 27, 28, after the Jewish people experienced the transparency of the Mechitza. They saw it from Avraham's point of view, the chesed, the joy, the love, that part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? And they loved it, and they saw the beauty in it, and they saw, uh, and all these questions went away, and all the questions of Eov slash Mitzrayim went away, okay? And they understood the big picture. Then Moshe said, Hashem, Moshe's telling the Israel in Devarim, the whole story, and he's reviewing, and he says, after that, Hashem said, Lech emor lehem, you Moshe, go tell them. Shuvu lechem lechem, go back to your tents. But you Moshe, you don't go back to your tent, you stay with me. The Mepharshim explain, I just brought one pirish here, but the Mepharshim explain, Chazal say, when it says go back to your tents, it, it means something more. It doesn't mean just your tent, it means your, your physical body. Go back to your physical life under the machita with your physical needs, your food, clothing, shelter, with your physical pleasures, family, love, unity, joy, all of it. Go back to the tent that I have spread over you because Hashem spread a tent over us, right? That machitza is like a tent. Go back into that tent. But now you're going to go back with a heightened awareness. So what the Torah is telling us here is, Adam ki don't die in that tent. If you die in that tent, if you pick up this concept that you're in a, not just a tent, you're in a gog. We talked about gog, umagog. If you're under this barrier, then you're alone here and nothing even matters. And you didn't even ask to be here. And, and, and everything you do here doesn't even have any impact on anything because God's going to do whatever he wants anyway. Don't die in the tent. And if you, and when a person does die in the tent, in their physical material realm, it, it could contaminate everyone because it could turn into a whole ideology. And that's why people then have to go and get pure by the mixture of the para-aduma ashes, which became dirt, you understand? And the message of the para-aduma, so they get back to their senses. So that's on the bottom of page six, the afer to the afar. And, um, it, uh, it, and what Moshe points out that this is really the message everyone hopefully is still salvageable. These crazy ideas to just rip up everything, shred everything because society is telling you that there are no constructs. You've maybe even been through a lot of pain, but the solution is not to shred all the truth, okay? And die in the tent and, self, and, do, and, and, and resort to self-harm and taking crazy medications that you don't know what you're that, that's going to do to people and, and 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 lopping off their body parts and making themselves incapable of having children and not being able to be in relationships because because there's no constructs anymore for relationships and um 
And that is not the solution. It will never get anyone anywhere. It will come, this whole fad will come and this fad will go and never there'll be victims of it along the way. And the Torah will remain eternal exactly as it always was for 3000 years. So we wanna, the only way to help people in this situation, turbulent times that we're in is speak truth. Say, we cannot go with you there. Don't go there and don't expect me to come there. And when this is something, somebody just mentioned this to me and then I'm just going to stop the recording, but I'm going to, maybe I'll keep the recording going because there'll be questions and answers. But somebody came to me, somebody, Nebuch, I'm talking real stories. They made a wedding. Okay. A chuppah, not just a party. Okay. Let's say there's trauma and to a girl, for, and I know people like this, they can't bring themselves to marry a man for enormous trauma they went to and they don't want to be alone for the rest of their life so they find a girl and they have each other's security and they have um someone to 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 to, to come home to and somebody who actually cares about them and they don't have to face the prospect of being absolutely alone for the rest of their life and they still believe in hashem and they still keep kosherus and shabbos and they do their own thing okay and that's that's one thing okay and then let's say and and they uh, but once they demand that there be a chuppah and we make brachas and all this stuff where there's a public, it's public that this is the new arrangement that the Torah condones, a public thing. And then they want everybody to celebrate. And then a lot of times people, family, friends, relatives, they feel, they feel, um, you know, they feel insecure. How can I say I don't want to separate? I don't want to hurt them. Of course, we don't want to hurt anybody. Okay. But the confidence to say, no, I'm no judgment. Let them do whatever they need to do privately, okay? I can't be in their shoes. I don't know what traumas they went through. But I will not participate in a public desecration of the Torah. And if you're asking me to, that's your problem, not my problem, okay? Keep your head on straight. Make a division between personal stuff that might not conform to Torah and public desecrations of the Torah and public distortions of the Torah. It's a very, very clear line. It's not confusing. So there's a lot of Rahmanis and a lot of understanding and a lot of fixing the parts in the community that cause people to end up like this, the parts that we can fix, okay? And um, and the, and the um, so that we don't have more people that go in those all sorts of different directions because of the pain they endured in an un imperfect community situation. So we need to fix that. But at the same time, we can't distort Torah. We have to keep trying to get back to the Torah. We have to bring people back to the Torah, Makarvan Litora. So it's really challenging and it's a huge, huge problem um, that we're dealing with. And uh, I we all need a tremendous amount of siyata deshmaya and a lot of love and a lot of understanding and a lot of keeping our eye on the big picture to get through this and to preserve Yiddishkeit without losing more people and to make and, and soothe people's terrible pain that they're in and um and uh and to move forward in a positive way okay i'm going to let you guys unmute yourself so you can ask some questions one minute um how do i do that participants one second here Okay, questions or comments? You're unmuted and I'm keeping the recording on because sometimes this is very useful. This, these, this, the people love to hear the, uh, the, the comments at the end. All right, what do we got? I'm looking through the chat. What were the questions here? Yeah, the Kohen does not get Tumay, but the person who worked with the ashes and the Tumah 
um, yes, they get tummy. There's another aspect for um, for the Tepardum, which is Matami Tahorim and Metaher Tameim. It's very, very interesting. We want to um, Esther, I have a question when you have a minute. Yeah, I just want to talk about this one aspect, which is Metaher Tameim and Metami Tahorim. Very important. You know what? This is a conundrum. How could something... Yeah, it makes no sense. Right? It makes no sense. And you know what the what I learned from Optorov, we learned about this. We have a I have to find the share. This is to condition us to the reality that we just don't understand how it all works. And that these questions and these frustrations, like EOPs, are real. And we don't know how things, how the tame or tahar and the tahar or tame. We don't understand how Yisurim sometimes are necessary. Things are not simple for us to understand. They are very clear from Hashem's perspective. But the very idea that we live with, we live in a, in, in a, in a, in a world and we're asked to come to terms with it, right? Where things are not as we would expect them to be all the time. And that doesn't mean anyone's bad. Okay. It's dealing, yeah. Yeah, what were you going to say? Okay, so um, going back to the part where you were saying about how, um, how you know, this part from Sota, where how um, Hashem said back to Moshe Ravlach, right? So if, if, if it was a rebuke to Moshe, later on right yeah. but he approached Ko but moshe approached korach with rav Lacha or whatever and he had this you know valid question and it was you know but he said no it's 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 enough and you're you're good enough the way you are if it was really a rebuke to moshe then basically he didn't answer korach he didn't answer korach in in a, in a more sensitive way but he but korach was was directly opposed to him wait 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 Moshe, Moshe said to Korach, you are not going to change Hashem's constructs that Aaron has picked. You're going to go down. I'm warning you not to do this. I'm begging you not to do this. He told Korach, in fact, he said, there's going to be a nace that never even happened just to prove that you cannot, you, I'm, it's, it's the truth. You cannot redesign God's world, period. And that, and Moshe tried very hard to get Korach back to his senses. And Moshe proved his point very clearly. That's all there. The only thing the Gemara's point commenting on is Moshe was right. He he taught the truth to the world. Moshe, uh, Moshe got the point across. But in the process, he wasn't sensitive enough. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't got the point across. You have to get the point across. But you have, you have to shech the paraduma. You got to shech it and burn it. But you got to be sensitive. That's it. You have to be sensitive to the people that, you know, that are, that, that whose ideology has to be shechted and burned. But the paraduma was to remedy if someone touched the dead person. That was Bishogeg. That's not some, that's not a, a, a hate. Right. The, so the, the tumma of touching a dead person. So in the- I, I understand Mace is their ideology. I understand that part, but the reality that was, wasn't a, a hate that the person did. Coming, coming in contact with death creates tuma. period. Why? Right. Doesn't mean it's gonna, it, it's just, it's, tumma's not a, a material thing. It's the machitza gets a tumma, it gets thicker. 
meaning coming in contact with death, the, the halacha is telling us, I know what coming in contact with death can do to your psyche. I know that when you face illness and death and all sorts of conditions that you don't choose, they just happen to you like death, okay? I know that you can feel a terrible burning frustration and pain of non-freedom, of being a victim of circumstances that you didn't even choose, of having to work in a with a cycle and of just even a physical cycle that was imposed upon you when women get their period and they are tummy because there's just a cycle that takes over me. And I, it's not, it's just, I'm literally a victim to forces that are just driving me. I didn't even ask for them. I have no choice over them. So the Torah is saying, Hashem is telling us, I know. And when you come in contact with this sort of death in all its forms, it will likely provoke all these questions. So mm -hmm. you're going to have to go to and get yourself tahar. And the way you're going to get tahar is through mayim, chayim, and all that. But there's a special procedure in the time of the Basin called the paraduma. And it clearly sort of describes this whole process. What leads to the ideology, how destructive the ideology is, how you have to destroy the ideology, and how you have to turn the afer into afer. So it's not that it's a sin to get tahar. Right. It's much deeper than that. Right. I was just... To the paraduma, you know, they're they're trying to cultivate right marriage right. skills so you can get a paraduma. When Asab realizes how Yaakov uh, tricked, shall we say, Yitzchak, he let out a cry. You see the pain, and he there was some scar or something for that huge yes. pain that that the Torah mentions. It's, yeah, you don't see that with uh, someone though, else. Even though, let's 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 sort it out. Many, 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 many years earlier, Yaakov had asked Esav to buy the Bechorah, saying, I want, I find meaning in it. I find purpose in the Mesodah, right. in the Abrahamic right. ways, in the Avos, in their ideology. I love it. I find joy in it. I'd like it. We didn't talk, we have to talk about Tummim. One second. I'm sorry. So Esav says, well, I don't love it. I'm going to die. I didn't right. ask too much. For me. Now, many, many, so he gave it up. Right. For red lentils. Later, for red lentils. Edom, Edom. Yes, yes. Years later, decades later, when Yaakov takes the bracha, Esav cries. Now Yaakov deserved the bracha because he took the he took the he took the heritage. He took the mission. So, um, and his mother said, "You better go get the bracha too because Esav is going to do terrible things with it." Okay, he's going to. So mm -hmm. then Esav cries, and you are hundred percent right that later in history by Purim. When Esav, Amalek's great-grandchild Haman, opposes the Jews, Mordechai lets out that same cry. Everything mm. is bad. Let me end with one thing. I thought it was in the mm. notes. I don't see it in my notes. Tamim. Oh, here, yes, six. Yaakov is Tamim. Tamim, the definition of Tamim is found in Unculus by Noach. Ela told us Noach. Noach is tzaddik. Tamim. How do you find joy and meaning in it? How do you avoid the whole ace of trajectory? The whole Erevav mix, mix of trajectory. Uncle says, Tamim Shlim, complete. He kept his eye on the whole picture, not just the boundary and his so, sort of meaninglessness beneath it, but the big picture that he's part of something bigger and he's not meaningless and Hashem can 
work through a person, can channel truth through a person. A person is a partner with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. They are not lost. It is not a gog. That's go, go, mogo. It is not a gog. It's an ohel. Okay. Yo shave all him. It's an ohel. It is chach. It is not a gog. We talked about these ideas and the past. And uh, don't, that, that's where Yaakov is tamim, shlim. He is tamim in modern Hebrew means foolish. Tamim is shlim. Keep the whole picture in perspective. Okay, guys, it's so late. It's been a really long share. So I'm going to end the recording, but. I am going to just leave this meeting open for a second more, okay? Stop recording.